Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health by providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources. Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. For the past two decades, TA Sciences has been dedicated to exclusively creating research-based, clinically tested wellness products that help address telomere shortening through the science of telomerase activation. As you know, anti-aging has been a huge focus of my research, and I am thrilled to have TA Sciences as a sponsor of New Frontiers. Learn about their products, their research, their outlook on anti-aging at tasciences.com. Com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And of course, today is no exception. I'm really excited to be talking to Chris Kresser again. He doesn't really need an introduction. Everybody knows who he is. And hopefully, if you listen to my previous podcast with him, in fact, we'll link that on the show notes if you'd like to. Uh, but let me give you his background. Nonetheless, it's pretty impressive. He's the co-founder of the California Center for Functional Medicine, the founder of Cresser Institute, the host of the top-ranked health podcast, Revolution Health Radio, the creator of ChrisCresser.com, and he's a New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Cure and Unconventional Medicine. He's a highly respected clinician in our space, um, and he's trained over 2,000 clinicians and health coaches from over 50 countries on his approach. Uh, he was named one of the 100 most influential people in health and fitness by greatest.com. Uh, and he's appeared on Dr. Oz. He's been in The Atlantic, NPR, Fox and & Friends, and plenty of other outlets. He's recently launched Adapt Naturals, a supplement line designed to add back in what the modern world has squeezed out and help people perform and feel their best. Chris, welcome to New Frontiers again. It's a pleasure to be back with you, as always. There are two really challenging scenarios uh, that play out when it comes to using the fabulous functional medicine labs that we have access to. I know these scenarios so, so, so well uh, from my time in practice. The first one is you are a functional medicine provider and you're juggling a whole lot of test kits each with different pieces of information that are incredibly important, different specimen are being collected, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of paperwork that needs to be filled out. Uh, in my first practice, actually, where I, I, I was in residency in Atlanta, Georgia, we had a full-time person to manage labs at the clinic. It was pretty crazy. The second scenario is you're a patient on the receiving end of functional medicine test kits and all of that information. I had one patient actually put them under the bed for a little while before she was willing to dive in there and do them. We want to make this cornerstone of our practice as easy as possible for us as clinicians prescribing them and for our patients. It's such important information that we're getting uh, and we need it streamlined. So Extraordinarily, there is a company that's dedicated to doing just that for us as the prescribers, as well as for our patients. And that is Rupa Health. I want to encourage you, like we have here in our practice, to work with Rupa, check them out, see how much easier it can be using these very important tools. I've been using biotics research uh, supplements for as long as I've been in practice, actually, uh, 
even back in my residency, Biotics uh, was a company that we were using quite a bit. And why is that? Because they are very good quality. Uh, their source material is the highest quality. Their designs are uh, smart and effective. A lot of those are come from the genius brain of Dr. Alex Vasquez. Um, they are creative products. Uh, they stand out in a sea of many, many, many supplements. As providers in functional medicine, we've got a lot of brands we can choose from. Uh, and Biotics is just at the top for me here in our clinic and at home. So I hope you kick the tires and biotics if you're not using them now. And if you are using them, just keep them top of mind for the smart quality company that they are. Thanks. You know, it's fun when you do a dive into a topic because you go deep uh, and you come back with information to teach all of us. And I know uh, you've, you've launched Adapt Naturals, and so you've been really wrapping your head around an area near and dear to my heart, and that is, you know, are we getting enough in our diet? Can we do it? Even those of us who are putting a lot of attention to what we're eating. So, you know, how common is nutrient deficiency? It's epidemic, really. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the only word for it. Um, I've been treating patients and uh, training people for 15, you know, 10 to 15 years. And I always uh, test for nutrient deficiency with every patient that comes through the door. And there are various ways of doing that. And we can get to that later, but uh, no matter which way you do it, I would say, you know, less than a, a small handful of patients have ever come back without at least one nutrient deficiency. And those, these are people, you know, my patients are highly motivated. They're not um, typically people who are just not paying much attention to their health. They're, they're among the most motivated, educated folks out there. And so, you know, they're already following a whole foods, nutrient dense diet. They are often supplementing. They're, you know, paying a lot of attention to, to what they're doing. And yet almost always um, they came back with one or uh, more typically several nutrient deficiencies. And that's consistent with the statistics as well. The Linus Pauling Institute um, out of Oregon State, which you know is an organization that has really devoted decades to um, paying attention to nutrient sufficiency and doing a lot of original research and collating the existing research they, um, you know, there's a page on their site and we can, I can send you the link and you can include mm -hmm. it in your show yep. notes, but, uh, basically hundred percent of Americans don't get enough potassium. 94% don't get enough vitamin D, uh, 92% don't get enough choline, 89% vitamin E, 85% magnesium. And, you know, I could go on, but that we're, yeah. we're not talking about an issue that just affects a, a small number of people. We're talking about the majority of Americans, not getting enough of most nutrients. I want to be clear here. We're not talking about full-fledged deficiency, like that would cause like scurvy or rickets or pellagra or beriberi. Yeah. We're talking about people who are falling short on the amount that's needed for, for just long-term health and well-being. you know, not, not this, not like acute clinical deficiency that's going to land you in the hospital. And, and in many ways, that's one of the reasons this is such an insidious problem is because yes. There's no red light on the dashboard that goes off when, when you have a, a mild nutrient deficiency. What it's going to end up doing is increasing your risk of diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disease, skin problems, cognitive issues, depression, and all of the other chronic issues that affect our health today. They've, it's great. Great start to our conversation. I think it's important to distinguish that deficiency. And so I think you're talking about what they would use in the literature, a nutrient insufficiency versus yeah. a frank deficiency. But, you know, we see insufficient. So, so you're saying that this might not be captured, the, the ramifications of insufficiencies. Um, However, that's been investigated in, with vitamin D. They look at vitamin D insufficiency versus frank vitamin D deficiency. And you see, you know, just plenty of, you know, horror show fallout when you're in, you know, the realm of just a, a, an insufficiency with vitamin D. Um, again, 
just what you mentioned, you know, the chronic diseases you've listed off. And of course we know, you know, acute viral infections like COVID are always, always more problematic or, or influenza when there's an, an, infic- an insufficiency. Um, you know, and I want to say one other thing, just as a sidebar, you know, I was a, one of the contributing authors to laboratory evaluations in integrative and functional medicine. Um, and also as a side sidebar, have looked at tons of laboratory data over my career. And I agree with you 100%. We always see insufficiencies and sometimes frank deficiencies, regardless of the attention to, to diet. Um, but in laboratory evaluations, I, I, I was um, the lead author in the minerals chapter. And I said, you guys, let's pull together a table looking at mineral deficiencies or insufficiencies and the top causes of death in the US. And it's a great table. It's it's featured on a blog. We'll actually link to it in the show notes so people can pull it up and take a look at it. And you will see exactly what you just said, Chris, you know, magnesium deficiency, potassium, selenium, et cetera, zinc, and, and the top causes of death in the US. Um, there's a, a close association. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I, I don't think this issue gets enough attention. I mean, you're aware of it. I'm aware of it. Lots of people in the functional and integrative medicine communities are aware of it. But even within those communities, I think it's under underrepresented. And yeah. uh, it, it's, it's strikes me because it's in some ways, it's very low hanging fruit, <laughs> you know, like, yes. um, that we know how to deal with this. And it's not like an issue like, you know, somebody has mold, or, or chronic inflammatory response syndrome, you know, like mold that, that can be really yes. hard to deal with. Like, yes. you know, it's not easy sometimes to remediate the mold damage in your house and, and then make sure you're in an environment that's safe for you. I mean, that, that's like yes. one of the trickiest and most difficult things to address, but we know how to address nutrient inadequacies and yes. it's not that hard. And so I just look at this as like a huge problem, but also one that has enormous potential for correcting, you know, reversing this, this tide of chronic disease and, and giving people a relatively simple thing that they can do to turn their health around without, you know, uh, yeah, relatively simple. That's the easiest Mm -hmm. way to put it. You know, it doesn't require massive changes like some other, uh, health interventions might require. You mentioned magnesium. I want to linger on that for a second because I think it's a really good example of how um, we only often really see the tip of the iceberg in terms of these problems. So the the RDA for magnesium right now for an adult that's over 31 years old is 420 milligrams uh, for men and, and 320 milligrams for women. But that RDA was based on average body, all, most RDAs are based on bo- average body weight. And so this um, magnesium RDA was last published in 1997 using average body weight of 133 pounds for women and 166 pounds for men. In 2021, wow. just last year, researchers published a study arguing that the RDA for magnesium should be updated to reflect the in- dramatic increase in average body weights for the US population. So today, the average body weight for women is 169 pounds. So that's 36 pounds in 25 years. Okay. And then for, for men, it's 196 pounds. So that's also a 30 pound increase. And when they recalculated the RDA, you know, based on this increase in body weight for women, instead of being 320 milligrams, which is what it still currently is. If you look at any reference, it would be 467 to 534 milligrams. And for men, instead of 420, it would be 575 to 657. Mm. Now, the average intake for magnesium for US adults is around 340 milligrams for men and 250 milligrams for women. So that tells us right there that virtually everybody is deficient or at least getting inadequate amounts of magnesium, but nobody knows that because if we're just using the current RDA that is, has not been updated, you know, you're going to come away thinking, oh, it's fine. You know, we're, maybe we're falling slightly short, but this tells us that people, most, most adults are falling hundreds of milligrams short per day on magnesium. And as you know, very well, 
magnesium is required for six or 700 enzymatic reactions in the body. That, that number keeps going up every year. It was yes. 300 when I first started this work. Yes. And now in the past few years, researchers keep discovering more and more enzymes that magnesium plays a role in. So, I, I mean, that's just, uh, to me, a really good example of how thorny and, and, and difficult this problem is and how so few people actually understand the depth of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I find it a little hard to believe that men and women in this country are ingesting those numbers that you just said that they were. I think that's generous. So I bet the gap right. is even wider. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it, and it gets yeah. worse because it's like 60% of calories now are ultra processed and refined foods that have zero magnesium in them. So, and, and you know what, if it's, if it's, if there's any magnesium added, it's going to be some you know, complete hundred percent non-bioavailable form like magnesium right. oxide. It's just going to go right through you. Yes. Yeah. Literally. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. Literally. It's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. It's its purpose. Yeah. It's eat, you might as well eat a rock. You just go out in the driveway and crunch <laughs> yeah. on a rock. That's right. You know, I really, I, again, just going back to my lab days, it was when I was, since we're on the magnesium and the minerals topic, we included in the book a image of ATP. I developed a deep appreciation for magnesium when I realized that it actually hangs on to the two, two phosphates in an ATP. So two of the, the end phosphates, it sort of keeps them in place um, before those phosphates are used. To generate energy. So any energy, anything requiring energy in the body, there's magnesium. I mean, you could put it that fundamental if you want an appreciation for how widespread and how, you know, exquisitely essential it is. Anything requiring energy, you will find magnesium. Right. Which is everything. So, yeah, you know, exactly. so cellular energy power, you know, powers everything that happens in the body. So if we're falling, and, and there's so many nutrients, as you know, that are involved in the Krebs cycle and other processes for producing cellular energy, um, you know, that involve ATP and other pathways. And uh, based on the numbers I just gave you from Linus Pauling Institute, most people are falling short in most of those nutrients. So, you know, when I started to really dive into this, I, I knew a lot of this, you know, it's, it's sort of like, it was but the 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 depth of it and the extent of it still surprised me. You know, it, it's it's like work that I've been doing for years, but I kept looking, at, you know, like pulling my head out of the research and going, "Wait a second, am I am I in an alternate universe here? Like, why aren't people yeah. screaming from the rooftops about this? Because yeah. from from my perspective, this is one of the biggest public health issues that we face." And that was highlighted even more during the pandemic. I, I actually, I did a, a presentation at UCSF at the Integrative Health Symposium with Dr. Akil uh, in 2021 in the springtime. And it was, the topic was um, nutrients and COVID, looking at what the existing research shows in terms of what nutrients the immune system needs to thrive and function optimally and what happens if we don't get enough of those nutrients and how that could increase our risk of, of all kinds of different infections. And it's all right there in black and white. And yet we heard almost nothing about that being throughout the entire course of the pandemic and still, have, right. still haven't. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Finally, vitamin D is getting a little bit of attention. A little bit. Yeah. But not yeah. named. How about zinc? And how about right. all of the other nutrients that contribute to good immune health? And it's not just immunity. It's, as you said, like all of the, if you look at the top 10 causes of death that are, you know, not accidents and, you know, acute things, but chronic conditions, every single one of them is characterized by nutrient deficiency. So it's a, again, a relatively low lift thing that we can all do is make sure we're getting the nutrients we need for just to give our bodies a chance, you know, Absolutely. Like the, a Absolutely. fighting chance. Yes, yes, yes. And I actually want to just say that I think acute needs to be included. I think COVID taught us that acute illness really needs That's to be right. included. Yeah. Maybe not car accidents or texting while driving. Although right. you could argue that some nutrients <laughs> might support your brain in a way that you might come to the, to understand that's not a good idea, right? Yeah. You might be thinking more clearly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you hundred percent. So I think you've already outlaid, you know, you've already answered this question or at least touched on some of them, but um, 
you know, it's just interesting because I can, you know, you've done such a nice drill down into it. Why are they so common now? I mean, of course, we're bigger, so we need more, um, which is concerning. But, you know, why are deficiencies so, so, so common? And even in, as you and I both talked about, people paying attention to how they're eating. Yeah, this is this is what changed for me over time. So, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, I was not, uh, I, I really was hanging on to the belief that we should be able to meet all of our nutrient needs from food. And I still have the belief that we should be able to, you know, yeah. that should being the operative word. But now I no longer believe that we can. And that was a bitter pill for me to swallow because, you know, certainly our, our distant ancestors were able to get all of the nutrition they needed from their diet and they, they weren't taking supplements. I think it's pretty safe to say that. Um, and, you know, just, I think we're human beings are adapted to get as many nutrients as we can from food because of nutrient synergy and bioavailability and all kinds of yes. other factors. And I still 100% believe that a, a healthy whole foods diet should be the foundation of any nutrient strategy. But there are unfortunately several challenges that we face today that make getting all of our nutrient needs from, from food met really difficult, if, if let, not let me, impossible. Let me just ask you, I just, cause I'm so curious about what your aha moment was that prompted you to, that, that, that changed your mind. And then move on and then answer yeah, sure. the, the question. About, I, I, I yeah. can't trace it to a, a, a particular moment in time, but I, I, I definitely, it was like several, uh, you know, cascading realizations, I think I would say. So one was just testing every patient that I had in the clinic, the, you know, as clinicians, that's to, you know, we can't rely on just anecdotal data that we have in the clinic, but it's often the, uh, the, the starting place for generating a hypothesis, you know, and saying, mm -hmm. huh, I'm noticing this and I'm seeing it in real people and I'm seeing the effects of it in real people. So I wonder what's going on here. So, you know, that, that was like the first part of it. Cause again, I wasn't seeing patients who were eating cheese doodles and drinking big gulps all day and having hot dogs for dinner. You know, I was seeing people who were already on super nutrient dense diets and doing all the right things. And they were still, showing nutrient inadequacies. So that was like the first flag. Hi, everybody. I am thrilled to be introducing you to Pendulum Therapeutics, the first and only brand to offer acromancia mucinophilia, a keystone strain for gut health in a daily probiotic. Acromancia is a unique probiotic strain found in your GI tract that helps with gut lining, and it's vital for gut health. Gut microbiomes change due to genetics, disease, epigenetics, lifestyle, diet, and we might lose our acromancia. It's not available in any foods. Pendulum manufactures and packages this patented strain into a simple probiotic capsule taken once a day with a meal. And for New Frontiers listeners, use code KF20 to subscribe and save 20% on your first month of Pendulum Acromancia. Get it at PendulumLife.com. That's PendulumLife.com. So then that led me into the scientific literature. You know, I'm like, okay, so this has been my experience so far, but let's see what the research has shown about, you know, the, the, the broader population. And study after study in country after country, developed world, developing world, um, every, you know, the UK, the US, Australia, the, the East, et cetera, it's all the same. You know, people are not getting enough of several nutrients. And then, and then it, it, it dawned on me that it's, it's even worse than it seems on the surface. So I used one example of magnesium where if, most of the studies are still using the RDA for magnesium, the existing, right. the current RDA. So if we were to actually run studies where we're using that higher cutoff that's adjusted for body weight, my guess is that a hundred percent of people would not be getting enough magnesium, just like potassium. Yeah. Um, B12 is another example. Like, uh, as you know, Cara, the, the lab range goes down to like 200 in some uh -huh. cases. And there are studies that show clear DNA changes and 
and you know significant metabolic shifts when levels are between two to 400. And in Europe and Japan, sometimes the lower end of the range is, is 450 or even 500. So once again, most of the B12 study deficiency studies are using that lower cutoff. And if we started using markers like methylmalonic acid or homocysteine, which are able to detect B12 deficiency at, a, at, a, at an earlier stage or even holotranscobalamin, we would see rates of B12 deficiency that are way higher than what we see in the literature. So that was the, the third step or second step. And then the third step was just time, you know, uh, see, seeing all of the converging factors that decrease nutrient availability. And I'll talk about those in a moment um, come together. It, it really ended up manifesting as a perfect storm. And that's, that's the world that we live in right now. So those factors are changes in soil quality, which reduce nutrient availability. The easiest way to describe this is there's been a shift in the, in the, in the microbiome of the soil, just like there's been a shift in our own gut microbiome. And the result of that is that the nutrients that are in the soil are not as available for the plants that are growing in them. And so the plants that grow in them don't have as many nutrients. And then when we eat the plants, we don't get the same level of nutrition that we would have if we ate those same plants, you know, 50 years ago. There was one study I came across that said we'd have to eat eight oranges today to get the same amount of nutrition from a single orange that, our, that even our wow. grandparents ate. So that's a big one. Another is an, uh, a growing toxic burden. So heavy metals and things like glyphosate in the food supply bind to nutrients and decrease the bioavailability of those nutrients. And in fact, that's a positive role that some minerals like calcium play, right? They, they can yeah. bind to those toxins so that we don't absorb the toxin, but then we don't absorb the nutrient in the same yeah. way and benefit from the nutrient either. Yeah. Um, so those toxins are, have become ubiquitous in the environment. Another is a shift to a global rather than a local food system. And we know that nutrient levels in, in produce begin to decline as soon as the food is taken out of the ground. So a food that's been shipped for 3000 miles, which is not uncommon today, has far lower nutrient levels than a food that was, you know, you would buy from the farmer's market or that you harvested out of your backyard. Uh, another factor is increase in chronic disease, which is a double whammy because we know that chronic diseases increase the demand for nutrients and then they re reduce absorption of nutrients. So obesity is a good example. Uh, obesity decreases the conversion of, of uh, sunlight to vitamin D in our skin so that an obese person would have to spend more time in the sun to get the same amount of vitamin D that an lean person would have to spend. And then that same thing happens in the digestive system where there are various mechanisms where someone who's obese is going to absorb less vitamin D from the same amount of food than someone who is lean. And if you just across the board in so many different disease states, a similar phenomenon occurs. And yet people with those conditions often have an increased need for various nutrients. And then the, the last, I mean, there, there are many more, but I'm last one I'm going to talk about is over-the-counter and prescription medications that deep deplete nutrients or affect nutrient bioavailability. You know, one example is metformin which is a common medication used to treat type two diabetes. And metformin is well known for its uh, uh, inhibition of absorption of B12 and folate. So lots of people who take metformin end up with B12 deficiency for that reason, and they don't even know it. It's not widely talked about. And a lot of clinicians who prescribe it aren't even aware of it. So they're not able to give their patients informed consent when they when they prescribe that medication. So, you know, those are just a few of what I think are the most significant factors. There are several others, but even with just those, it you can see how it it's has huge. become very difficult to meet our yeah. needs. Yeah, yeah. And I think if we do a broad sweep of what's happening metabolically and look at nutrient levels, you know, as, as you and I both do in our practice, you can catch some of these things, but yeah, by, by and large, it's not happening. I just wanted to throw one other, one other contributor in there 
um, because I've seen it change over my career. And that is just our ability to absorb nutrients. So we are, you know, SIBO is epidemic, uh, SIBO, IBS, just, you know, dysbiosis. You, you talked about the soil microbiome, uh, you know, and, we're, and, and, you know, all of us are influenced. And again, you know, as, as intentionally as we're, as we're eating, um, we're in this era of really tough guts, as I call it, you know, some challenging presentations clinically, and there's always some level of malabsorption happening, uh, regardless of what they're taking for medications or their body size, et cetera, you know? Absolutely. Would you agree? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the chronic conditions that, you know, I, IBS is now the second leading cause of people missing work behind the common cold. You know, we, you have tens of millions of people suffering from that. And even if someone doesn't have overt digestive symptoms, as you know, that doesn't mean that they don't have disrupted gut microbiome, you know, that can manifest as yes. skin, skin rashes. It can manifest as fatigue, cognitive issues, insomnia, autoimmunity, any number of other problems. And, and, and this again, just goes back to all of those same challenges in the modern world. You know, a lot of people, you know, exposure to antibiotics growing up, um, you know, not yes. being breastfed, uh, uh, poor diet, you know, highly processed and refined foods, uh, other medications like birth control and NSAIDs that disrupt the gut microbiome. There, there's so many factors. The, the modern life, is, yes, <laughs> unfortunately, is just not a supportive environment for our yeah. health. That's, that's it's like. It's like human 2.0, you know, what do we do to survive this next leg of the journey? And, and, and extra nutrients really seems to be one of them. Like most of us have air filters now and, you know, we're doing things that we wouldn't, we wouldn't have done in my lifetime. You know, we're just, we're needing to be more mindful. Um, what nutrients are people, so we've already touched on some of the big players, but what, what, are, the, what are the big nutrients individuals are most likely to be deficient in, in, in this country? Yeah. So if we go back to the Linus Pauling survey, hundred percent don't get enough okay. potassium. I know right. you've talked a lot about this. Um, sodium potassium balance in, in the developed world is way out of whack relative right. to what it was in, in paleolithic era where, you know, some of our ancestors got up to 10,000 milligrams a day of potassium and yet, and very little sodium relative to that amount of potassium. Now it's flipped where people are getting a lot of sodium and very little potassium. And that has pretty severe consequences um, all throughout the, the body. So that's a big one. Uh, vitamin D, of course, uh, I think there's more awareness about vitamin D now, but unfortunately that hasn't really translated yet into, um, you know, pe more people becoming vitamin D sufficient. We It's still... 94% of Americans, according to the Linus Pauling Institute, are, are not getting adequate levels of vitamin D, 92% uh, not getting enough choline. Um, right. co choline is, is a nutrient that I think is there's not a high awareness around, um, in, even in the medical community. Um, a lot of patients are not being asked you know, about their choline intake and foods with choline. And it's, it's a absolutely vital nutrient for um, cellular health, this the function of the cell membranes, neurotransmitter production, the nervous system in general and the brain. And if you don't get enough choline, um, you're going to, your brain's not going to work well. You're going to, you know, brain fog, poor memory, difficulty focusing, uh, and you're going to have a wide range of problems in the, in the nervous system. So, um, that's a big one. And it's one that most people are not aware of. 89% uh, don't get enough vitamin E. Um, that's important. Vitamin E is a critical antioxidant. It plays very important roles in skin health and eye health and heart health. Uh, dietary vitamin D deficiency is correlated with cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, autoimmunity, et cetera. Um, so that's a big issue. And then I would say magnesium is it, it, the Linus Pauling has magnesium at around 55%, if I recall, but again, that's using the current RDA. So mm -hmm. if you were to use the higher RDA, I think it would be right up there with vitamin D and choline and potassium in that, you know, 90% plus range. Um, I 
you've, you've got uh, vitamin A is around 50%, but that's lumping together beta carotene and retinol. I think if we looked at retinol separately, which is the active form of vitamin A, you would see much higher rates of deficiency because yeah. uh, there aren't a lot of sor uh, sources of preformed vitamin A in the diet. You've got pasture-raised animal products, pasture-raised egg yolks, pasture-raised dairy, organ meats, especially uh, liver being probably the highest source of preformed retinol on the diet. And people are just not eating uh, organ meats very often at this point, cod liver oil, et cetera. So um, that's another issue. And that's an important nutrient for uh, immune function and, and overall health. Um, zinc is similar. I think down, that's around the 40, like 40, 50% range of people who don't get enough, but it, that's not considering bioavailability. If, if you look at zinc, on, um, you can see that lots of foods have zinc on paper, um, but those plant foods that contain zinc also tend to be high, uh, contain high levels of phy phytate, which is phytic uh -huh. acid, which inhibits zinc absorption. So, uh, and the same is true for calcium. So like in calcium, for example, spinach has a fair amount of calcium on paper, but the bioavailability of calcium from spinach is only about 5%. So uh, you'd have to eat a lot of spinach to, to meet your calcium needs. And, in, and, and, you know, it's, it's an amount that most people are not going to be able to eat on a daily basis to do that. So I, you know, I, there's the, the published rates of deficiency. And then again, there's when, when you start considering bioavailability as a whole nother very critical factor, I think that those rates are even lower or even higher rather than what the, the, what is published yeah. in the literature. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to say to, um, to folks listening again, we'll, we'll link to Linus Pauling Institute so that you can look at, at what Chris is talking about right now. And it's just a Linus Pauling Institute is such a good resource, but you know, you can get, I just want to say to our audience that, you know, those of you who are not clinicians and are, concerned about what you're hearing, you can ask your primary care doctor or whoever your care provider is to order some basic measurements and get insurance coverage. You know, these aren't, it isn't rocket science. So you may not get the same level of sophistication that you would if you can go to a functional medicine provider, but you can, you can look at a blood, a red blood cell magnesium, you can look at a red blood cell zinc, you can get a methylmalonic acid, as Chris mentioned earlier, as a surrogate marker of B12 activity in the body, and get insurance coverage for those. So don't be shy to, uh, you know, to bug your care provider to get these as part of, you know, your annual or semi-annual um, workup. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, vitamin D, especially, right. Like, and, yeah. and, and that, that will shift from season to season. If you're getting sun exposure and you live somewhere where sunlight is a, is a viable source of vitamin D. So you, you should be asking your provider to do that at least a couple of times a year, you know, maybe in the fall, fall leading into the winter. And then again, in the spring uh, uh, after the winter, because you, you need to have a sense of how it shifts seasonally. Um, yes. And yeah, I fully agree. A lot, you know, there are some nutrients that are notoriously difficult to test for, like vitamin K2, for example, um, is a tricky one. And uh, calcium actually is a tricky one because it's so critical to the function of the body. It has to be maintained in such a tight range in the serum or the blood that if our dietary intake of calcium falls, we, we just pull it out of the bones. And that's, of course, why low calcium intake is associated with osteopenia and osteoporosis. But calcium will rarely fall out of the normal range in the blood unless it's like a very severe problem. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that is also one of the, the challenging parts of this whole nutrient status issue is that for some nutrients like vitamin D, it's relatively straightforward to test for them. For others, it's quite tricky and that makes it difficult for clinicians and it makes it difficult for just individual people. Yeah, that's right. If you're of the age where, you know, a DEXA scan uh, is appropriate, I mean, that's, you know, that's yeah. not a, that's, that, that's a reasonable tool. If you're leaning anywhere towards osteopenia, um, you know, calcium is going to be one of the nutrients that you're treated with. Absolutely. You know, the other interesting thing that uh, is, is chromium. I, there was a, a, a researcher, 
about a decade ago, just proposing that any blood sugar imbalance is uh, functional evidence of a chromium deficiency. I would so, agree with that. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a, a paper by Peter Havel called, uh, there was a big review of the role of chromium and in insulin resistance. And he made the yeah. same argument. This was back in early 2000s, if I remember. And he, you know, he said chromium is, you know, generally poorly absorbed in the diet and chromium levels decrease with age. And uh, if you see any signs of insulin resistance, you should basically consider that to be a sign of chromium deficiency. So yeah, yeah, exactly what you just said. So there is the, you know, the, of course that's, that's most Americans uh, yeah. needing chromium. If you consider that as your surrogate marker of chromium deficiency. You probably saw the study. It was last week or the week before uh, estimating one in two Americans either has diabetes, type two diabetes, or is at risk of having it, meaning they have either prediabetes or high normal blood sugar and are well on the way to developing it. One in two Americans. I mean, yeah, that's it's just mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so what do we need to be supplementing with? Taking all of this into consideration, uh, people are just running out the door right now, listening to our podcast, <laughs> you know, yeah. Get, yeah. going to buy supplements, but like, what do we need to be thinking about? And, and yeah. let me ask you this. So you have concern, so there, you have concern around diet being inadequate, the nutrients being insufficiently bioavailable, completely understood. We do use chronometer in practice so that we can get yeah. an idea of what people are ingesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're also doing a, a lab sweep uh, to identify, you know, those, and, and to your point, not all labs are, are equal and, and it's difficult to identify some nutrients, but, you know, just how do you, what do we need to be taking just in light of what I'm, you know, evaluate, like what, yeah. are, what are the core things we need to be considering yeah. with or without lab data? So again, you know, I want to reiterate that um, you cannot supplement yourself out of a bad diet. So I, I, what I don't want to happen, and I, I doubt this would happen with your audience, Cara, but I like to just be clear that, you know, taking supplements on, on top of a really poor diet is not going to save the day. Um, it, you know, we need the foundation of nutrient synergy that we get from foods that contain multiple different nutrients and enzymes and cofactors and all the good stuff that really um, makes us function at, at a high level. Having said that on top, you know, as we've discussed throughout this whole show, that's maybe probably not enough for most people. So I, I look at supplementation as the word truly implies, you know, a supplement is something that you add to mm -hmm. something else. It's not meant to stand on its own. So you know, I think a high quality multivitamin, which just covers all of the bases is a really good option for most people um, because it can help ensure that they're not only meeting, but exceeding the RDA for most nutrients. Um, there's a caveat there, which we can talk about separately, which, which is that with some nutrients, you don't really want to exceed the RDA <laughs> there, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not always, uh, Exciting news. The Younger You companion book, Better Broths and Healing Tonics, will be out this November. I'm Jill Shepard Davenport, a board-certified nutrition specialist, and along with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, crafted a resource of broths, tonics, infusions, even mains, sides, and desserts, packed with the epinutrients you've come to know and love. If you pre-order, there are loads of exclusive access goodies we'll be sending your way. And this is a fit for you, regardless of your dietary approach, your age, health history, or dietary preferences. We've got you covered. Order today at your local bookstore or on Amazon. It's lignans, sterols. Um, these are not really encapsulated in some of these nutrient analyses that tend to just look at things like iron and zinc and vitamin A and vitamin D but they are every bit as important for our health, I believe at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think they're, I mean, perhaps their, their time is coming, but it's complex. I mean, you've, you've heard of, of dark matter and nutrition, <laughs> this yeah. like wide swath of nutrients <laughs> that have yet to even be identified. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's extraordinary. Like the majority of, 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 of the nutrients present in certain 
you know, plant foods are, are, are yet to be identified, let alone their synergistic interactions with each other, as you mentioned earlier. But I, I, I agree that a fundamental appreciation of the import of these um, is, is beginning to be established. Yeah, and I think, you know, realistically, we probably will need AI to really like help yeah. us figure out those relationships because they're, yeah. they're just think of how vastly complex it can be. Yeah. You know, you've got multiple new, you know, magnesium alone affects 700 different enzymatic reactions. So imagine trying to map that out with pen and paper, you know, right. and trying to figure out how other nutrients interface with magnesium in that way. It's hopeless yeah. for our, for our human well, brains. It's just a forkful of a well-designed salad, you know, entering into your the, the, the alimentary canal and being exposed to the various enzymes and digestive juices and then into the microbiome and <laughs> that's right and, and, and then I, they're all transformed and totally <laughs> yeah. and this is i mean this is why we always recommend food as the basis of everything because i've i've thrown around the term nutrient synergy a few times without really explaining what it means but let me just take a moment to do that so nutrient synergy it refers to the fact that nutrients are not isolated from each other in our bodies. They don't, they're not siloed off, you know, just operating on their own. They have complex and often synergistic relationships. So a few examples are that magnesium is required for the absorption and activation of vitamin D. So let's say you're actually getting enough vitamin D, you're taking it as a supplement or you're getting enough sunlight. But if you are deficient or getting an inadequate amount of magnesium, you can still exhibit all of the characteristics of vitamin D deficiency because you, magnesium is basically blocking the absorption, the magnesium deficiency is blocking the absorption and utilization of vitamin D. A similar relationship exists between copper and iron. I've seen patients, I'm sure you have as well, over the years who are getting plenty of iron, but they're still exhibiting iron deficiency yes. anemia. And yes. then we, you test their copper levels and they're copper deficient. And that's yes. what's causing the iron deficiency anemia. And you can give that patient all the iron in the world and it's not going to make a difference. In fact, it that's can right. make them worse uh, because it's really the copper deficiency that's the problem. And then, you know, you, we, we mentioned osteopenia and osteoporosis and calcium and bone health, vitamin D and vitamin K2 and to a lesser extent, vitamin A play an important role in calcium metabolism and make sure that calcium that we get through our diet uh, ends up in our bones and teeth and heart tissue where we want it and stays out right. of the soft tissues like the blood vessels and kidneys where we don't want it. And so there's been speculation like Chris Masterjohn has written about this, others as well, that the, the RDA for calcium might be one of the few examples that's too high, that uh -huh. if we if we meet our need for vitamin D and vitamin K2 and vitamin A and magnesium, that we might not actually need 1,000 or 1,200 milligrams of calcium per day. It might be more like six, seven, 800 milligrams a day if you have those other nutrients that are contributing to calcium metabolism. So it's it's fascinating when you really dive into this and it really does mean that you have to be certain that whether from diet or supplements that you're you're getting the right amount of all of these different nutrients that work together synergistically. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. And certainly clinically, you know, anecdotally I can say that we don't we don't give our patients, you know, with 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 bone loss very high calcium because we are giving them all those accompanying nutrients. So, yeah, I agree with Chris Masterjohn on that and we see you know, clinical turnaround when we look at their, at their bone density. Um, I mean, just think of it this way. Like it's pretty hard if you're on, if our paleolithic ancestors, it would have been it, it, pretty difficult for them to, to get 1200 milligrams a day of calcium, you know, without dairy products or without eating fish bones or something like that, because, right. you know, broccoli, cruciferous vegetables are a pretty good source, but a lot of the other plants, food sources are, you know, not very, calcium is not very bioavailable. Um, you, you, you know, I think they got some from, from bone, you know, like eating bones mm -hmm. or, you know, chewing on, you know, eating meat that were they on the bone and things like that. But I, I doubt that many of them got a thousand plus milligrams of calcium and yet their bones by, you know, from anthropo anthropological studies, we know that they had very strong bones, stronger than our bones today. So I, you know, that I think is, is good proof of what we're talking about here. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a little bit about um, tocotrienols versus tocopherols, but any other nutrient, the forms of the nutrients in, uh, or, or I think are incredibly important. And any, yes. any others that you want to point out to, that yeah. we need to be looking at? Lots. Yeah. <laughs> so the, this could, of course, as you know, be like three podcasts. I know, just, I know. This, I know. So I'm thinking, topic. what so, are your top players? Because uh, I've got say, other questions. Yeah. So <laughs> the top top players for sure would be um, folate versus folic acid. So uh, I know this is a, a big topic for you, methylation and the impact of these nutrients on methylation. But, you know, folic acid for, for some people, not all people, um, are not able to process folic acid well and convert it into the more active forms, uh, the folates, and they can end up with unmetabolized folic acid in their blood. And that has been linked to um, a wide range of conditions and some studies cancer. It's a, it's a fairly controversial topic, but um, I'm pretty convinced that consuming natural folates in, in form that we would typically find them in, in our diet is a better option. Um, another one is B12. So, uh, the cyanocobalamin is a form that's often used in supplements. Some patients or some people are, are able to convert that into the more active forms, methylcobalamin and adenosocobalamin, but, um, some are not. And so I, I think methylcobalamin is a better option there. Uh, for most people, magnesium, and we touched briefly on that. You have um, magnesium oxide that hasn't been chelated or prepared in any special way is going to be very poorly absorbed. And, and what it will tend to do there is just draw water into the bowel and um, promote more bowel movements. That's why magnesium is often used as a laxative. But if you use a chelated or buffered form of magnesium, um, that will be much more bioavailable. It's absorbed through a completely different pathway. And uh, you're going to end up getting seeing a, a much more significant increase of magnesium in your blood than you would if you were just taking the more the inferior forms of magnesium. Then you have vitamin K. So we know you know vitamin K one is certainly beneficial. You can get it from a lot of plant foods. Some people again, you know, some vitamin K one can be converted into K two, which has unique benefits. Uh, it helps to regulate calcium metabolism, plays a big role in cardiovascular disease protection, but many people don't do that conversion very well. So even if they're eating, you know, pretty uh, diets that are pretty rich in K in K1, they might not uh, have enough K2. So eating preformed K2 is important. And then we already talked about the difference between carotenes and and retinol. You know, vitamin A precursor. So getting some preformed retinol in the form like from liver really important. And then um, tocopherols versus tocotrienols. I'm happy to go into that more. It's a fascinating story, but those are probably the, the biggest ones for me. Awesome. Okay. And then we'll just, for folks who want to do more of a drill down into Chris's work, we'll obviously link to um, your site and your resources. Um, so in your multi, I'm curious, what kind, are you, are you including a single folate or are you including multiple folates? What, what's it's, just, in the multi? it's it's a single folate. It is uh quadrifolic. So it's a five MTHF, um, but it's a, it's a more conservative dose. It's around 600 micrograms. I didn't, we didn't mm -hmm. want to include, you know, two milligrams or some of the higher doses that um, I've seen in some, some products. And then, for B12, we have methylcobalamin, riboflavin, R5P, pyridoxine, P5P, um, vitamin K. We have a full spectrum K, uh, K, so it's MK6, MK7, and MK9. We didn't even get into the different wow. forms of K2. So, yeah. But but each, you know, as you know, there we we suspect that MK7, MK4, MK6, MK9 have diff slightly different properties. So I wanted to include a full spectrum there. Um, we've got palmitate as well as carotenes for vitamin A. Um, for niacin, we have niacinamide and niacin. Um, uh, we have all of the minerals are chelated. So, so calcium, we have calcium malate for magnesium. We have a buffered magnesium chelate for zinc. We have zinc bisglycinate chelate. 
For Good. selenium, we have seleno XL. And for copper, we have copper bisglycinate chelate. So these are all the most bioavailable absorbable forms. That's, that's just, that's great. Um, so what about fiber? Yeah. So fiber is not in the, we have, so the multi is interesting. Like I, I didn't want to just include the essential vitamins and minerals. I also wanted to include phyto, phytonutrients. So we mm -hmm. have wild blueberry blend, muscadine grape powder, citrus bioflavonoids, uh, broccoli seed extract, quercetin, broccoli sprout powder. But um, for fiber, we, uh, one of the other supplements that we launched with as part of our core plus bundle, which is a, a daily stack of five products that I curated to help people kind of meet all of their nutrient needs is a mushroom product. So Kara, you know, that mushrooms cool. are a phenomenal source of yeah. beta glucan, which is a unique soluble fiber with that not only feeds the beneficial bacteria and does what other fibers do. It also is known as a biologic response modifier because it has a potent impact on immunity. So it helps balance and regulate the immune system, but it also promotes um, immune defense against pathogens, which you know has obvious benefit in the era that we're living in today. Yeah. Nice. That's that's great. Let me I ask love, you. I love mushrooms, by the way. I do I too. Say. I do too. Like, I do too. Um, you know, there, I, I'm an, I'm an herbalist by training too. Um, and you know, in Chinese medicine, mushrooms have been used for at least 5,000 years. They were mentioned in the earliest, um, medical texts that's ever been discovered. And they've been used, you know, in, by Chinese nobility, Egyptian pharaohs, Vikings, like in so many different contexts for so long. And they, they have pretty amazing healing properties. Yeah, they do. They're just very, they're extraordinary. They're complex. Yeah. In mm -hmm. my work, we, you know, we're, we we definitely recommend uh, using a, a complex of mushrooms as as possible. But um, we we created this dynamic dozen. We had to come up with a list because everybody wants lists. So shiitake <laughs> made that, but inaki, yeah. maitake, reishi. There's so many that um, that deserve a spot there. I agree with you. Yeah. Um. Ju I'm just curious about the complement of phyto phyto phytonutrients that you selected. Like, how did you determine which were your top players, and 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 in what dosing would be, you know, meaningful. And I know that this is to supplement, as you said earlier, this isn't taking over a good diet, um, yeah. but like, how did you figure all that out? Yeah, mostly just looking at research on the compounds that I felt had the most evidence behind them. And then again, assuming that this was coming on top of a, a nutrient dense whole foods diet, the intention here was not to like pr provide doses that would replace the need for eating plants, you know, mm -hmm. um, if you look at, for example, um, the dose of lycopene, it's three milligrams of lutein esters, it's three milligrams of resveratrol, it's 10 milligrams. So I, you know, the, the thing about some of these plant nutrients is I, I do think these have a Goldilocks range. So yes. we, we've, we've seen studies that show that if you isolate a compound like resveratrol, um, or any of these plant-based antioxidant compounds, uh, and take them for a long period of time, you can actually increase the risk of the very diseases and conditions that you're trying to lower the risk of. And that's because mo most antioxidants are actually, I think they're misnamed. They're pro-oxidants. They, they produce oxidative stress, which then upregulates our own endogenous antioxidant defense system. And when you get those compounds in small or moderate amounts, that's beneficial because it basically is like provoking your immune system to self-regulate or your, and your antioxidant defense system. But if you take those oxidants in much higher dose over a long period of time, you can actually induce oxidative stress. And I think that's what was happening with the, those studies that showed that high dose alpha tocopherol, mm. you know, increased the risk of cancer and heart disease is that it was taken at a level that you would never really be able to obtain in the right. diet. So right. I was quite conservative in the phytonutrients that I included, but I still wanted to include some because I think most people aren't getting enough. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's compelling. Do you think that's true with the beta, beta carotene? research, the negative beta carotene research also isolated. Yeah. And yeah isolated, ramped up higher dose and than you would typically and get. And synthetic. Yeah. And not, and also not 
with not um, together with all of the yes. other nutrients that that would work um, to reduce that risk. So let me give you an example of that, which I'm which I know you're aware of, but for your listeners, um, you know, there's a lot of studies on vitamin A toxicity that if you take which we're talking about now, you know, carotenes and retinol, if you take really high doses of vitamin A, it can cause um, a problem. But if the studies have shown, and Chris Masterjohn, again, I have to give a hat tip to him because he, you know, I first learned about this through him. Um, if you have adequate levels of vitamin D and vitamin K2, both of which protect against toxicity of vitamin A, the toxicity threshold of vitamin A increases by orders of magnitude by at least tenfold. So put another way, if you're vitamin D and K2 deficient, which most people are, then you could have experienced vitamin A toxicity at a relatively low dose of supplemental vitamin A. Whereas if you have adequate levels of D and K2, then you would have to take a ridiculous amount of vitamin A. <laughs> you know, you'd have to be eating like six ounces of liver every day, or you'd have to be taking tens of thousands of sub IU or retinol equivalents of, of vitamin A every day before you mm. develop toxicity. So that's, mm. that's a good example of nutrient synergy. Yeah. 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 Interesting. That's cool. Um, so of given our conversation, you know, what are the foods that people must be eating? Like in your opinion, the most nutrient dense foods that need to be in somebody's core diet? Yeah, well, um, this might not be super popular response, but it's, <laughs> it's what's from the research. Yeah, you know, There's a great study that was published earlier this spring by Ty Beal and Flaminia Ortenzi. Um, they work, I forget the name of the NGO, I think it's an NGO that's concerned with um, malnutrition around the mm -hmm. world. And so yeah. they set out to, to, to answer the question, what foods should we focus on in these countries where malnutrition is rampant to to, that would provide the biggest bang for the buck nutritionally that would help people to meet their, their needs for essential nutrients. And here they were focusing on essential nutrients because that's, you know, zinc, survival. B12, iron. Yeah. Survival. Yeah. Exactly. So what they found, and again, we can, I can include the link um, mm -hmm. for this, but was that uh, five of the 10 most nutrient dense foods were organ meats, liver, mm. heart, kidney, pancreas, and spleen. And, um, it wasn't even close. Like the, the, in, in the scale that they used, which, um, uh, by the way, this was the first nutrient density study ever published that took bioavailability into account. So I was like, so excited to see this paper come out because all of the previous nutrient density work that I, that I had seen that had been published was only looking at nutrient levels on paper of a food. They didn't actually consider the bioavailability of nutrients. This one did. So um, liver had the top score of 11. And then, you know, that was like 20 times as nutrient dense as even muscle meats like beef wow. and, and, and then eggs. And then if you go down to like dark leafy greens, it was probably 40 times as nutrient dense. If you go then below that was like, you know, 60 times more nutrient dense than vitamin A rich fruit, fruits and vegetables, like the brightly colored fruits and vegetables. And then I think it was 600 times more nutrient dense than whole grains, you know, so organ meats are ounce for ounce, the most nutrient dense foods that we can eat and nobody's eating them. Yeah. Um, they've just they fallen are out of favor. They fall, yeah, yes, and they're actually that they liver made our dynamic dozen. I mean, we include it on our younger you program um, because of the nutrient the nutrient density, and it's in a and it and it's in a whole food matrix. It, it's a it, it's a whole food. It's a multivitamin in a food matrix. It's it's extraordinary. And I will say that I am not. I like pate, but I can't cook. I I don't cook liver, <laughs> so I take you can get clean, encapsulated organ meat. So if yeah. you're a little, if you're a little freakish yeah. about it, but appreciate its importance, like I do. Um, well, Kara, you are... won't be, you won't be surprised that one of the five products in my daily stack is drum roll organ product. And it... what, what organs does it have? Liver, kidney, heart, pancreas, and spleen. You know, like I, I wanted all of the, what I released to be evidence-based. And, yeah. you know, when you see a study 
that is the only study that's ever taken bioavailability into account on nutrient deficiency in five of the 10 most nutrient dense foods you can eat are organ meats. And probably one out of a thousand Americans, if that are eating any organ meats at all, then right. it's pretty obvious that a supplement can be helpful in that situation. Cause I, my confess, I've said this for years. I mean, I've been beating the drum of, of liver and, and organs for, you know, since I started doing this work and I don't like the taste of organ meat. So I, I have to, I have <laughs> yeah. to work, I have to work really hard to do like, so one thing I do is like I chop liver up into like ground beef. And then I put like, um, spices on the ground beef, like, uh, Mexican food style spices, or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. I can do to kind of disguise the flavor. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. So I supplement with them because I want to make sure I'm getting the benefits of them on a regular basis. And I just, I'm not consistent enough with, mm -hmm. with cooking them. Yeah. Um, pate, yeah. You know, there's some other products like that, that I will eat occasionally, but it's, I, I've just, I've struggled to make it a part of my daily routine, to be honest. Yeah, I know. I know we're in the capsule era. It's, it's a little bit depressing, though. <laughs> but at least we have them and that's right. you were able to get clean source organ yeah. meats. 100% grass-fed cows from New Zealand is what we source from. So feel awesome. good about that. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. It's really cool. I know just knowing you and following you for so many years, I, I'm completely confident in how badass the products are that you've created. Oh, thank you. I appreciate I'm that. Sure. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I waited like some, a lot of people over the years were like, why don't you have your own supplement line? You spend so much time geeking out on this. And I'm like, I'm not ready. <laughs> you know, I, I still have more to learn and I finally feel like I'm ready. And so, um, this, I, this is like a 15 year project basically. Well, I'm excited to check your products out and I'm happy to introduce them to my audience and, you know, just this was a great conversation, Chris. I just really appreciated, you know, the level of, of study that you've put into this. And, and there's no surprise, you know, from the work that you do over the years that you would be putting that degree of sort of intention on this creation. So congratulations on Adapt Naturals. And we'll have to, you know, circle back as, as, as you know, you learn more and want to share more and continue the conversation. Of course. Yeah. I always enjoy our conversations because we get to totally geek out. I know <laughs> <laughs> we're two of the most geeky people that I know in this field. And so it's always, always a pleasure to speak with you. And I know when I talk about a study, I, there's a pretty good chance that you've read it and vice versa. So it's, it makes the conversations fun, but yeah, I sure. also appreciate how you can make it all accessible for your people and easy to understand because um, it's not, it's, that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So folks to that point, we will circle back and get all the citations that Chris has mentioned. We'll get the links to Linus Pauling. We'll get the links to his sites. We'll get the link over to Adept Naturals so you, that you have on the show notes, everything uh, that you need uh, that we've talked about today. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you, Carl. It's been a pleasure. As always, thank you for listening to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where our sponsors help bring the very best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. Not everyone can be a sponsor on my platform, and I so appreciate the good work, the relentless research, and the generous support from my friends at Biotics, TA Sciences, and Integrative Therapeutics. These are brands I know and trust in my own clinic and can confidently recommend them to you. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com, tasciences.com, and integrativepro.com, and please tell them you learned about them on New Frontiers. If it's not too much to ask, I would appreciate a thumbs up and a kind review wherever you're listening to New Frontiers. Thanks.